I'm not saying that everyone needs to cry in front of their people, but the more vulnerable you can be and the more authentic, the more successful and loyal your team will be. And that takes work, Shelly, right? That takes Mm -hmm. a lot of work to have the confidence to do those things. Welcome to the Rebel Souls podcast, where we flip the middle finger to the status quo. I'm your host, Shelly Paxton, lifelong rebel, liberator of souls, and author of Soulbatical, a corporate rebel's guide to finding your best life. Settle in as we dive deep with badass leaders who are rebelling for what matters most in life, business, and the world at large. I'm so happy you're here. Let's get this revolution started. Hello and welcome back, my fellow rebel souls. Oh my gosh, this episode is fire. There's part of me in doing this introduction that just wants to say, trust me, you don't need any more info. Just dive into the damn episode because my conversation with Chris Tuff, who is a dear friend, a huge inspiration. We've even done some coaching together. He has inspired me and guided me in ways that you'll start to learn a little bit more about as you listen to this conversation. It's long for a reason. It is so chock full of goodness. So let me tell you just a little bit about Chris. I'm going to like override my gut that says, just listen to it. But I hope you will based on what you've read in the intro. Chris is a trailblazer in every sense of the word. And we talk about some of what he's done. He's currently a partner at 22 Squared, which is a long established 100 plus year old advertising firm in Atlanta. He was the youngest partner ever. And he still is opening doors. He's kind of the tip of the spear. He's the guy who nurtures the relationship with Nike and with Home Depot and with massive clients that they have in their portfolio. He's that guy. And so this is why this episode is about rebelling for genuine connections because Chris is the connections guy. And we're going to talk about all the layers of connections. And I'll get into that in a second. But this is somebody who has worked directly with Mark Zuckerberg. He filmed one of the first videos to go viral and landed on the front page of the Wall Street Journal Again, youngest partner. He is doing so many cool things. We talk about now his best selling book, his first book, The Millennial Whisperer, and his upcoming book that will be released around October of this year, 2021, called Save Your Asks. And so all of these layers of connection are about genuine self-connection, doing the inner work. And in his case, and something that is really present for me, we even talk about the role of sobriety and his choice to become sober in wanting to really, really step into his highest and best self and really feeling like he wanted the static cleared from the channel in order to break through to that next level in his work. And I'm watching him do that right now. So we talk about that. If that's of interest, it's definitely not something we're suggesting you have to do, but I love that it came up because it's really important for me right now. So it's one of the things we talk about. We also talk about the deep work that he 
he went through to really, you know, deconstruct everything around him to reconstruct what was the reflection of his own truth and the life he wanted to create and the people he wanted to be surrounded by. And then we talk about what are the connections with your team, like internal to your own organization, the organization that you lead within. So what does that kind of leadership look like? And that's really what the Millennial Whisperer is all about. It's about being an empowering leader. It's about meeting your teams where they are. And millennials and Gen Z are making up the bulk of the workforce today. So what can we learn from them and how can we best connect with them? And I find so much of what he talks about profound. He gives us really technical guidance on how we can connect and what that looks like. And he has some brilliant concepts. And then the third layer of connection is around connecting with others. So think about that as external networking. He is a master networker. And that's what this concept of savior asks is all about. And I love it. We get into some of the concepts in the book, like don't be an asshole. And we talk about what that means. And this concept of Shawshanking as a brilliant way to build connections and relationships over time. It's the deep game and the long game. That's the little insight. And oh God, there's so much goodness in between. I mean, so much of this. We talk about his own sabbatical, what he's learned. I just love that Chris models unplugging better than anybody I know. And it goes on and on and on. You guys, Chris is the person, like if you don't know who he is, you're going to want to follow him, buy his books. He even talks about how we can get the Millennial Whisperer for free. So please listen and then go to the link we provided in the show notes and you can get the book for free free. What an incredibly generous offer from Chris and a beautiful way to set up the launch of his next book. Anyway, let's dive into this juicy conversation with one of my favorite humans, a total soul brother that needs no more introduction. This is N Fuego, soul fam. Let's listen in. Hello, welcome back, my fellow Rebel Souls. You guys know I get so giddy about recording these conversations. And this one, I'm getting goosebumps just making this intro. This is one I have been wanting to do for so long. My dear friend, soul brother, Chris Tuff is on with me today. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Shelly. It's a privilege to be here. It was funny. I was telling my wife before today, and she was like, so, you know, what's your plan tomorrow? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, I don't know. But what I do know is that I am on the podcast with Shelly. She was like, oh my goodness. That the, I don't even want to know the amount of energy that's going to come out of that one. <laughs> I know. Ever since we were introduced through Rochelle Webb, our Rochelle, mutual friend. Rush. Oh, I know. And so, and she was on the podcast. So for anybody who hasn't listened to that episode, go back and listen to the Rochelle Webb episode too. God, she's so good. Soul sister. And you and I, I mean, we're in touch constantly, which is really beautiful. We have our own soul connection and we've been wanting to do this for a while. So I also like literally this week, I mean, I told you Thursdays have become my favorite days. It's the day I record podcasts. I get so fired up. And then when it's somebody like I intimately know, I'm like, oh my God, every hair of my body standing on end going, let's dive in. Cause you and I have like the greatest conversations and I totally. want to share that 
that with the community. So well, how you, cool that like yeah. just like stopping you there for a second, Shelly, like how cool is that? This is your job, right? Like when I start talking about to people about, you know, really this special spot, right? Which is essentially what I'm trying to catalyze in the world, which is where passion, purpose, and profession all overlap. I'll tell them like, as I'm connecting with you, Shelly, right now on this podcast, we're working like how special, awesome, incredible, and energizing is that? Like, this is our work. And so many people, I, I do truly believe that we live in a society where everyone wants that quick fix, right? We want that thing that Shelly has right now. And the truth of the matter is, is it takes a lot of time, a lot of heartache, a lot of trial and tribulation to break through. But when you do, it's the most beautiful thing that you could ever experience, you know? Oh, and so thank you. It's the best. It's so it is, cool. Like it is so, so cool. cool. And Chris, I love that you say that because I say that at the beginning of almost every episode, when I do the intros, like I'll do for you after our conversation, because I always want to reflect on the yumminess and the juiciness of the conversations. I literally always say, I pinch myself that I get to do this as part of my work. And I, I hate even using the J-O-B word because that feels like, Bleh. but it's like, this is my work in the world. And as part of my mission to liberate a billion souls, I get to have conversations like this and share them with the community. Oh my God, sign me up. I would do this seven days a week for no money. Totally, totally. Right. And I just wrote down, by the way, the intersection of passion, purpose and profession, because I want to make sure we come back to that. Yeah, say no, that's a big part of what you stand for, what you wrote about in the millennial whisperer. So we'll get there. I just I want to take a big step back and ask you the signature question. What are you rebelling for? I am rebelling for genuine connection. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, you know, that and, uh, lights me up. Yeah. I What's funny though, Shelly, is like you look at all the stuff I have my hands in, right? I mean, I do a lot of things and I touch a lot of very different lives and people, but it really is the most common thread is essentially just this battle for genuine connection. And I thought that was pretty cool as we were texting, trying to figure that out. I was like, oh my gosh, Shelly, you just nailed it. It is. And I know that because I've had the privilege of spending a lot of time with you. Well, virtually, I cannot <laughs> wait to come visit you in Atlanta because you know, post-COVID that's happening. Yes. Come and stay in that beautiful house of yours. But I love it because ever since I was introduced to you and we started diving in, that's what I received from you. That's what I felt in my engagements and my experience with you is like, this is someone who is 100% in for the connection, not in because you want something from me or one of those energy vampires, <laughs> but like you are in it to really genuinely understand me as a human, listen deeply to me, see what you can bring, how you can support my mission. And as a result, I'm all in with you. I'm like, how yeah. can I support you? What can we do? And so you make people feel that way. So you as a human, you as a beautiful soul, you as a leader, I can see how you've created the space. You've made a name for yourself in doing and creating genuine connections and practicing to see what you preach. 
Sure. And I was born that way. You know, I, I don't know how many people who are listening are into Enneagram, but we had the most amazing evening in the mastermind that I'm a part of. And we had a relationship coach. It was the first time we brought in our spouses to be a part of this men's mastermind where we you know push each other to be better husbands, fathers, and business people. And it was so fascinating to, well, first of all, to see the dynamic of the different relationships, but also to really dive into on a marital level, obviously, and then expanding up. Now I can't stop thinking about the impact of me being a helper. I am a type two, right? So my greatest fear is to be unloved, unrecognized. And you look at a lot of the work that I've done up until now, and then leading into the next book and that yearning for or rebelling for genuine connection I am perfectly poised for whatever reason, being the youngest of six kids born into a very British household, you know, proper. I was born with my heart on my sleeve. Like God said to me or whatever, when I was born, like, you're going to be a little different and you're going to wear your heart on your sleeve. You're going to bring the world together and you're going to help be that catalyst to people. And I'll give you a lot of credit, Shelly, you know, one of my biggest epiphanies in kind of the most recent journey over the last three years has been really changing that metric of success. And up until I met you, my well, first of all, before that, my metric of success was essentially beating my older brothers in the game of life, which is a horrible metric to go by for success. <laughs> and so I, right. I, through my kind of evolution and writing the millennial whisper and doing the things, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to change that to impact. And it's going to be once again, going down to my Enneagram type, I'm a helper by shifting that focus to impact through others. Well, it was two others until I met you, Shelly. And then you helped me, I think, realize in our conversations that it's not necessarily just standing on a stage and seeing all of those lives impacted, but it's also when you sell a book and right now, Shelly, you are impacting lives or right now I'm probably selling some books that will have somewhat of an impact on people's lives. And that's happening without us knowing it. That's scale. That's how you hit a billion people. And you know, mine's a much smaller number with the next book I'm writing. But it's really that shift of having impact, not just to people, but through people. Yeah. That's where the scale and specialness happens. I got goosebumps again, because I remember our conversation where that was like unlocked in you. And since then, I have just seen you like a stratosphere change in like how you think about your work and a rise in the impact you're having. So there's so much goodness so in that. Much. So I, what I want to do is, because I want to make sure we talk about The Millennial Whisper. I mean, this is a national bestseller book you wrote, and there's a story behind how you got there. And just maybe a little context for everybody. Like you and I are two people who've had these meteoric rises by you know all traditional quote unquote success standards, right? And you know, I'm out here saying, we need to rewrite the script of success. But the reality is like, I wrote down some of the stuff that you've done. Some of it I knew and some of I didn't, but like you worked directly with Mark Zuckerberg back in 2006. <laughs> Hello. You filmed one of the first viral videos that got landed you on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Hello. Didn't know that one. And this one I knew you were the youngest partner in the history of a really established hundred year old ad firm that you're still at today, 22 squared, and you're still blazing trails for them. And I know there are many, many more things I could add to that, you know, quote unquote, traditional CV or resume, but let's just start there and say, 
okay, all of that is shiny and sexy and you were fueled by it because like you said, we were both really fueled by external validation. Like I'm going to beat my brothers at the game of life. I'm going to beat everyone else. I'm going to have all these things to say I'm accomplished. I've done it. I'm going somewhere. And yet we both know like the journey isn't all rainbows and unicorns. A lot of that becomes a facade that other people see and say, ah, I want to be Chris Tuff. I want to be Shelly Paxton because, you know, they've got these sexy jobs, titles, they're doing all of these things when in reality, that's all external. And then you talk about, you start your book with actually like, okay, wait a second. You started to hit some speed bumps and go, yeah, you know what? It may look sexy on the outside, but it's not feeling so good on the inside. Like you were feeling empty. Like I was, can we back up? Would you be willing to share that story of your journey? Because I feel like it set you up for everything else that you've been doing to this point. So yeah, the timeline of events, Shelly, is that if you were to kind of chart out my story arc, it would be, I like to revolve it around currencies. And my currency was really built. It took a few lateral job moves and making $28,000 a year and 64 failed job interviews before I got my first job, et cetera. Right. That was its own kind of battle, but it spit me out into what I call the Plinko game of life. That was somewhere close to my own passion and purpose. I didn't know it at the time. I didn't do anything up from work. I just kind of got spit into it. And then it was really around the advent of social media that I started to find my stride. And usually when we hit that sweet spot for the first time where passion, purpose, and profession all overlap, I tell people that the signs will be all around you. Ridiculous things end up happening. And whether it be, you know, sitting at a dinner table across from Mark Zuckerberg, right, as he was launching and helping him with some of his first advertising products, or you know, getting 7 million people before YouTube to watch your engagement and then getting on the Today Show and blah, 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 right? Like front page of the Wall Street Journal, like crazy stuff ends up happening. And that first currency, right? Act, I would say two of my life was really around the digital and social media world. And I was trailblazing, right? I got all those accolades you kind of talk about. And you know what I found was with time, Any of those moments that I stood still for more than three minutes, I didn't like who I was and I was unfulfilled. I was not the genuine person that you talk to today. And I started to really struggle with that because the same things that used to fulfill me were no longer fulfilling me. And so I took my own sabbatical, right? And I took a month off and really used that time to unplug and take a long, hard look in the mirror. And when I talk to my friends about this or anyone that's willing to listen, or they're like, so Chris, I heard you hit a pretty hard rock bottom. Tell me about it. I was like, I tore the house down. I tore it all the way down to the foundation. The only thing left was the foundation. And I spent then the next year really figuring out what that house was going to look like. Mm. And that was a lonely time for me. And I mean, I almost get like teared up as I was talking about it because Julie, my wife, will talk about the time where it was about six months into this rebuilding. The biggest extrovert in the world is me, right? And she turned over and I kind of said to her, you know what's really sad, Julie? And I think we were watching something on Netflix. We just gotten the kids down and I said, I don't really have friends anymore. Like I just hang out with you guys. Like all of my old friends are gone because 
of me really rebuilding this house. And she looked at me just like with tears in her eyes and just didn't really know what to say or do. And it was right around that time that I was on an executive retreat. And this wasn't like your typical executive retreat. It was more of like, well, one of my philosophies was I want to help people become better, especially men and not have to hit a rock bottom like I did. Like, how do we get ahead of it? And so I helped kind of organize this executive retreat. There are 14 executives there, average age being 50. And I was going to share my story in the first night around the fire and really set the precedent of vulnerability. And as I was going to introduce myself, I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't done this in a while. Like, what do I introduce myself as? And instinctively, I just said, you know what? Like, I've really shifted my focus at our 400 person firm. And I'm not really the tip of the air anymore, but I'm kind of like the millennial whisperer. And then I went on and shared my story, sat down by the fire. You know, I shared it. And the guy sitting that was running the retreat, who's now one of my best friends, I didn't know him at the time, but he's one of my best friends, Tommy Breedlove. He's a coach and he kicked me and he goes, Chris, you better write that book. I was like, what book? He goes, the millennial whisperer. I was like, Tommy. You don't know me, but I'm the most, there's no way I can write a book. He was like, yes, you can. And then a couple of the other guys were like, so Chris, tell me about some of the things you do. Like, I hate millennials or these Gen Zers or my friend Bert, who has a huge radio show, The Bert Show. He was like, dude, you need to help me here. I feel like my employees are always asking for promotions, raises. They're coming in late. They're never smiling. They're just ungrateful, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, let me give you a couple pointers. But the biggest thing, the biggest thing this next generation is looking for from you is just genuine connection. Take a vested interest in their lives. And I start talking about like, oh yeah, start following them on Instagram and go up to them on a Monday and say, hey, Shelly, that hike that you did Rochelle last weekend looked epic. Tell me more about it. Because guess what's going to happen? That's how you build a relationship with them. And they're craving that. They're leaving not because of their job title or the lack of money. They're leaving because they feel like you aren't taking a genuine interest in their lives Mm. or having a connection with them. And that's what they're craving more than anything else. And so I was like, okay, from that, I was like, okay, I got to write this book. And uh, oh my God, even, even like a month later, a couple of the guys were like, Chris, I started implementing some of those things you were talking about. And like, it's had a huge impact on our culture. I was like, so I wrote it really fast over four months. And it was really in that moment that Tommy looked at me and said, you got to write this book. And I said, okay, I'm going to write the book that everything shifted, right? That was when the house started to be rebuilt, Shelly. And, you know, through some of that year off or that what was my soul badical and kind of reassessing and really engaging on having impacts through some of the people and you know most of them millennials on my team it was really through that which i found to be not only the most fulfilling but where like the specialness of this is why i was put on this earth like this is yeah it. like you found your calling you exactly. found your purpose as part of that purpose passion profession formula so before before sure. we really dig deep into the millennial whisper because there's so much goodness and i wish i had the copy of the book it's in chicago and i'm still in la but we will put a link to the book because it's a gem oh there there's you go the Sp- yeah this is the spanish, the spanish. oh my got god it. Yeah. I love that. All right. The international bestseller now, <laughs> no. but let's, but I want to, I think it's important that you talked about, you know, you took your own version of a sabbatical before you even knew what a sabbatical was right before I even knew what a sabbatical was, what really shifted for you in yeah, that time away, question. right? That's so important because it set you up to be able to go out and have these conversations in a business context, but 
a lot shifted for you personally that informed how you wanted to build that house, right? Well, yeah. And that's a great question. And so there are three main factors that shifted there. One was that metric of success, which I was playing the status game, which Naval Ravikant calls a zero sum game because yep. you're giving. I love uh, him. Yes. Uh, yeah. We could spend a whole podcast talking about him. But, you know, so I had to lose that. And so I let go of that and really shifted it to having impact. And my impact, by the way, was going to be judged on a daily basis when my head hit the pillow. Did I have the impact that I intended or was the amount of energy put in? the right kind of output for the impact made. And every single night mm. since I've made that, I've had a successful day. And, and you so still ask was, yourself that question when your head hits the pillow today. I do, but it's become more, I'm tough on myself, Shelly. And that's where I have to catch well, it's myself. In, it's in your name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a Quite literally. <laughs> I have such high expectations for myself and what allows me to finally, like not fi I fall asleep immediately, but what allows me to fall asleep immediately is, yeah, Chris, you crushed it today. Even though you impacted three lives, that's okay. But once again, one of those pieces that you helped me realize was there are probably 3000 people that were impacted through the things that those ripples that were putting out into the world that I had no idea about. It's not necessarily having that tangible impact, which is where I used to see, well, and I still do to a certain extent, I'm working on that, but like, I'm always seeking that outside validation in order to tell me that that day was successful. But so all of that started, that shifted. And then, you know, the other piece was really doubling down on my wife and my two daughters and making sure that they were, there's a saying that my brother introduced me to. And he was like, you got to stay in your own hula hoop. And I was like, what's that? She's like, yeah, your own hula hoop. No one's allowed in it except for you, Julie, and the two girls. And it was actually the first of my tattoos started to you know, become what is now a very large oh, sleeve. But love the first it. three here are my first three hula hoops. And I'll be in speeches and I'll reference them and I'll actually grab my arm because that is the center of everything for me. And I was gone on so many business trips and not at all of their games and, you know, really once again, connection with my family. And so going back to my roots there. And then the third piece that was the biggest shift was quitting drinking because, and it wasn't necessarily that I was like the drunk, right? Or the one that, you know, was standing on the tables or the bars. It's just that as I looked during my own soulbatical, as I looked at the soup, I would say that the chicken stock it was beer, right? And what it added to my life was this element of anxiety and, you know, fuzzy mornings. And it just, I was like, I got to take that out. And I always had like this weird, and we can talk about the drinking thing because I know it's top of mind for at least a lot of my friends who are And now. for me, and for me, as you know. So yes, I do want to dig into this. But you know, it, that for me was my, I was never able to really break through that next level just from a own personal development and human development standpoint, I wasn't able to hit more of that self-actualization layer with it there. And so that was one shift. Now, four years later, I still haven't had a drink. And I'm not saying that's the solution for everyone, right? But it was for me. And really, I rebuilt that house very quickly, right? So it was like this year of, what is this? I'm bored. And my friends reminded me that boredom is just a synonym for serenity. And I'd never experienced that before. It's like, okay. And now the house has got all these gardens. I mean, it's really starting to come into its own. And so, yeah. 
And Chris, what's really okay, I want to reflect on a couple of things and then maybe say for the first time, like I've reached out to you to say, hey, tell me about your sober curious journey, which became your sobriety journey and all of that, because I'm feeling the exact same thing in my life. I've got a big fucking mission in the world and I cannot show up to my mission feeling foggy, feeling less than, feeling hungover, having wine cobwebs in my brain. Wine is no longer this fun thing for me. Like it is standing in my way of really expressing my highest and best self and achieving my mission and showing up in the way that I want to on this podcast and in every other expression of my work. So what you said just landed. And it also made me think, I don't hear you actively say this, but maybe you need to add this to how you introduce your work. The genuine connection that you haven't touched on, but you just said it here is genuine connection with self. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Oh my God, Chris, you've done so much really powerful inner work that's gotten you to this place. So you've got in, you know, connection with self connection with family, you know, inside connection, which is, you know, as a leader in an organization, which is a lot of what you talk about in the millennial whisper, which we'll get to in a second. And then the outside connection, which is what you talk about in your soon to be released next book, Save Your Asks, which we are most definitely talking about. One of my favorite things you've ever done or are doing, I cannot wait and probably have you on to even dive deeper when it comes out. But I just wanted to reflect that back to you because it hit me so hard as you were just talking. I'm like, that's it. So I want you to own too, that you've done all of that inner connection work to better understand yourself and also just get the static out of the channel. And so many of us haven't yet done that. And we wonder why we're not breaking through. Yeah. I mean, and there's so many things and I used to be such a pleaser, Shelly, and I wanted everyone to be my friend. And it's interesting because even as I was answering the 144 questions leading into our Enneagram night two nights ago for these couples, it's fascinating. I mean, I can answer every single one of those questions. And I finished 144 questions in eight minutes while my wife was still on like number seven asking me, so Chris, do you think I'm more this or that? And it was one of those things where it's like, holy cow, like, I know what I want. I also, even with connecting with others, right? I say, I throw the ball against the wall twice. And if you aren't willing to go deep, I'm moving on. I don't need you to be my friend. I don't need any of that. Like, you know, just like that really validation, but I'm going to throw the ball twice against the wall. And if you're not willing to go deep, I'm going to move on to the next. And that's I don't need any more of that. It's so powerful. And so I will be willing to bet because I am a recovering people pleaser too. I talk about that in the book. I'm willing to bet we have, even though so many of us in this community are rebels and rebel souls, I'd be willing to bet that a lot of us have been people pleasers a lot of our lives. So what's one example of what you did to get to that place where I'm going to throw this ball twice because it all sounds good. And I know I'm so much closer to that place right now where it's just like, it's okay. If what I say or what I do or what I wrote in the book or how I'm showing up just doesn't resonate with you, that's okay. Move on. Like you're somebody else's people. I'm so good with it now. But like, how did you get good with it? My friend Tommy calls them muscles, right? And you go to the gym and you build muscles. And I talk about even me, like I had no biceps before I went to the gym. Like I was 30 pounds lighter. And when you exercise those muscles almost all day, every day, 
you get jacked, right? I mean, and there's a realness to that. And so one of the pieces that I feel like I have done, I will give myself a pat on the back on, which I don't really do as like a Uber driving kind of force. It's the opposite that I usually do to myself, but it's like, I have crushed it with being able to act quickly on instinct with people, but also being able to move on from those relationships that no longer serve us. And that's why all of my friends shifted. Like I, none of my friends, there are a couple, but a lot of those people, I really hung out with them because they were beer buddies, you know, like every conversation was easy. And now even with my friends that are experimenting with not drinking, they're like, Chris, I can't stand talking to half these people anymore. How do you do it without alcohol? I'm like, I don't talk to those people anymore. Right. Like that's such go a good, anymore. oh my God, it's such a good point. And it's, yeah. Who, who are your people? Right. You know, the famous, you know, quote about the average of the five people you spend the most time exactly. with, like look around. Right. And I'm forgetting off the top of my head who to attribute that to. So I'll make sure it's in the yeah. show notes. Um, but it is so true. And when I think about my journey over almost the past five years, it's been very similar. You know, my drinking buddies from my 20s and 30s, you know, we may still loosely keep in touch, but we're not hanging out. And my, I wanted to say tribe, but I'm also really cognizant that that's not a great word to use these days. But my people, like my posse, my posse is like such a higher vibration. They're my people. They're people who I look up to like you who are doing things in the world, not only the kinds of things I want to do, like having ripples of impact in the world, but it's also the how you're doing it and how you're showing up. And I've radically changed what my posse looks like over the past, especially the past two years. Yeah. And it's interesting because first of all, you and I have a level of passion that a lot of people aren't used to. And when you're doing conversations like this all day, every day, you forget just how polarizing that can be. And that's okay. Like coming to a place that being people will say, Chris, you scared the shit out of people. And it's like, you got to kind of remind yourself like Shelly, I'm sure you scare the shit out of, I am sure there are people that don't like you. And that's really one of the first signs of being a true thought innovator and leader is when that starts to rear its head, there are a lot of people that will say they don't like me and, and that's okay. Right. Like that is a byproduct of success. Really. I was just going to say that, Chris, I was going to say that's actually a sign of success. I'll never forget when I got one of my first, like rip your guts out, negative (laughs) reviews on the book and uh, somebody else like tuned me into it because I do not as a habit, go and read reviews on any of my work. However, this friend like piqued my curiosity. I went and read it and I was like, Jesus Christ, that was brutal. (laughs) And I said it to another friend and she was like, you're a real author now, girl, congratulations. And I was like, oh, she's so right. And I just want to remind everybody like that's listening to us when we're truly playing in the arena, like Brene Brown says, when we are naked in the arena, you know, being true to ourselves and serving our work, people like the cheap seats are going to hurl rotten tomatoes at us. And now I laugh like you, Chris. And now I'm like, yeah, I am too intense. I am too big. Sometimes I am too loud. I am all those things. And I'm fucking proud of it. And if you don't like it, go on to a different arena, go hang out with other people. 
people, I'm totally cool with that. But I love that that came up. So thank you for bringing that up because it is part of the journey that it's a hard one to wrestle with. You know, it's like the author John Acuff labels it loser's math and loser's math is where you can get a thousand comments on a Instagram post. And then you end up reading the one negative one and you only think about the one negative one. And then we obsess over the one negative one. Oh my God. I love it. Okay. So let's dive into the millennial whisperer because love, love, love. And PS congrats that it's being translated into different languages. (laughs) That was fun to see the Spanish edition. There's so much goodness in there. So you kind of gave us the foundation for like, okay, you had this epiphany when, you know, your friend kind of went, wait, nudge nudge, nudge. You are the millennial whisperer and you have figured out how to create a genuine connection with, by the way, the generation that is like, are they 75% of the workforce now or becoming 75% of the workforce? Like this is not something we can ignore. Yes. All of that. I mean, and you know, one of the things that People are like, oh my gosh, you're the self-proclaimed millennial whisperer. What a joke. I'm like, no, actually the book's really about how millennials aren't the problem and how if you look at statistically all the things that they want, it's stuff we all want. And the one thing that's holding us back is guess what? Tradition or ourselves. Or when I go into these large corporations and I bring some of these things up, like genuine connection with your people, the biggest thing you run up against is, well, I had to do it this way. Why don't they, right? Or And you see it with the foil of boomers and millennials and Gen Zers, right? I mean, Xers, is some, they're somewhere in between, so it's less jarring. But when you talk to boomers even, and I use the example of a guy I ran into recently, and he had just gotten his shots and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, sure, He's about 70 years old, massively successful. I was like, that trip to Europe you took looked amazing. Like, I'm so surprised you were able to get in. He was like, oh, no, I was there for work. I was like, so that means it can't be amazing. And it's interesting, Shelly, because there's this idea for whatever reason, and it comes from boomers and before, that passion and profession are mutually exclusive, that work and life are separate. And it's like all that shit went out the window. And now it's actually flipped where the younger you go, the more of an expectation that your passions and purpose will be met with your profession. And they will walk for the first time ever. We have a whole generation, especially the Gen Zers that will walk unless you start doing some of these things. And What I just look at just from a sociological standpoint or just the human standpoint is if you look at the relationship that Shelly, you and I have or had with our parents is really Xers. It's very different than the dynamic of especially younger millennials, but millennials and Gen Zers, because they're sitting at the table if they finally have their phones down, all of them. And they're taking a vested interest in their lives. They're like, Shelly, tell me a little bit more about your relationship with whatever. Whereas with us, you didn't talk about any of that stuff, right? There was a distinct line. We would never call our parents, our friends at 20 years old, because they were telling us what jobs to get and what to do, what not to do. It was very authoritarian. And so when people are kind of coming to me for advice from some of the most famous corporations, their biggest struggle is coming to the realization that your people just want a genuine relationship with you in the same way that they want had a genuine relationship with their parents. And sure, there are some things that are trade-offs, right? Where I think social media has given us all an expectation that 
I call it the Pinterest station of a generation, right? Where everything's this perfect pin picture and it's not. And so one tactically speaking, if people listening want a takeaway for what they can do is I call it my 70, 30 rule. And it's that 70% of your job should be exciting and get you excited and passion fueled, et cetera. But 30% of your job's just going to suck. And so take on their first day, have your people on your team and yourself figure out what's in your 70% zone of awesomeness and then what's in your 30% zone of suck. Because what that helps us do is when we have four days in a row of that zone of suck, we don't quit our jobs. Instead, we work our way through it to get to the other side of 70-30. And you know, once again, there's some entry-level jobs, especially some of these famous brands and institutions that I've done these speeches. I'll ask some of the people in the audience, you know, is it 70-30? And they're like, yeah, it's 70-30 the other way. And so I then turn to the leaders. I'm like, okay, so it's now your job to not just be the bossy boss, but to be mentors and coaches to your people to help find that stuff to offset the fact that only 30% of their job is exciting and passion fueled. Help them find the things on the outside that will help fuel that. And that is a huge shift. And one of those pieces that I tried to bring in, which is genuine connection with your people. Yeah. And I love, I think the distinction that you make is an empowering leader versus a hero leader. And that is the shifting face of leadership that we're seeing now. And even more so post pandemic or during the pandemic and post pandemic, it's what we need. The world needs more of it. So how else would you describe an empowering leader, right? They're relationship driven. Yeah. Statistically speaking, just to break it down, the three greatest characteristics that millennials and Gen Zers are looking for you and as a leader are one, inspirational leadership, two, autonomy, and three, transparency. Each one of those things can be easily misinterpreted. And you know, even inspirational leadership, that's one that a lot of people, if they're doing the assessment, the self-assessment, they're like, yeah, I'm so inspirational. And then you ask two people on their team, and they're like, well, is he going to find out or is she going to find out if I tell you the truth? It's like, no, there's like, no, he's, he's the least inspirational person. Are you kidding me? Right. So it's like, if you break down any of those characteristics, that is really the tactical pieces that then make kind of what you're talking about in terms of this shift from an empowering leader into an empowering leader. I love it. And one of the other things that really resonated when I first read the book was this idea, and you've kind of touched on it, of the millennials and Gen Zers being the why wait generation. And you know, that's like in the crosshairs of sabbatical. It's like our generation, the boomers, the Gen Xers, like we were all like, oh, we should do it this way. Yeah. There's a path we must follow. Success looks like this. You know, all of those things that we have been told and we've told our for so long. And you've broken that cycle and I've broken that cycle. And we talk about it so we can help others break that cycle. But man, like that's like, that's a biggie, right? This whole new, these two generations in the workforce who are now the dominant generations in the workforce are like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not waiting till retirement for anything. So it's about quality of life and experiences and purpose, like you've said, and passion, like you've said. So I just wondered if you had anything else to add to that, because I'm like, why the fuck are we not all the white, white generation? Like, what are we waiting for? Yeah, I think that all of us live in a society where there's this idea that Instagram's a reality, right? Or that, you know, even like the why wait, there are two sides to why wait. And 
the reality, Shelly, is if we broke into your story and what you've gone through, or even my story into what has brought us to this conversation today, where people are listening, being like, I cannot believe both these people are actually doing their jobs right now. There's a hell of a lot of punches in the face that require resilience and tenacity. And if you really break down growth mindsets, which is, you know, I think where a lot of these shifts from a corporation and even, you know, within the realm of entrepreneurs and small business, that is what I'm looking to instill in my two daughters. It really, it's those two characteristics of resilience and tenacity, because that is truly the only way that these things can be had, right? Yeah. You know, and I talk about it and I talk about my $200,000 unsecured loan that I did to do the millennial whisperer. And I talk about the times that, I got punched in the face and went home crying. And, you know, listen, that is even as a leader, when I tell my team that like that is a little bit in the realm of that authenticity and vulnerability that so much of us are craving out of our leaders, you no longer just have to be that hero. And, you know, I think that's where even from a terminology, people mistake or they misinterpret transparency and vulnerability. And we Mm. shouldn't do that. Those are two very important characteristics, but Really, what they're looking for from from a transparency standpoint, being one of the top three things that they're looking for from you, transparency, it's more in the realm of just, they want context, right? They want to understand why are you making the decisions that you're making? And so just give them the data, like tell them, all right, give them the macro things that they aren't necessarily privy to or understand how to connect the dots. You got to help them with that. So the more that you can share in those data points, the better it's going to be, right? And so transparency does not mean crying in front of your people or displaying how much money everyone makes at your firm. That's not what they want. What they want is context. Yeah, I love that. I also love that you said vulnerability because there is a role like you sharing your story with your team. I know that you regularly do that, right? You talk about your quote unquote tough ride. You talk about the importance of resilience. You talk about your journey because that kind of vulnerability is important. This is not you and I didn't get to where we are doing this quote unquote work because like even (laughs) I even have a hard time calling this work, right? But you're right. It is. But we didn't get there without vulnerability. So when you talk about growth mindset, like I'm going to link to Carol Dweck's book, Mindset. It is something I give to all of my clients. It's one of my, if if you don't know or haven't really dug into fixed versus growth mindset for anybody listening to this, we're going to put it in as a resource. It's massive. And And neuroplasticity. And yeah, we can talk a lot about that. Oh, well, that's a whole other geek out session. So, but growth doesn't come without vulnerability and discomfort. And you've described all of that. So I just wanted to put a little punctuation. And especially as a male, especially as a male. That's hard. Yes. And actually this, my latest tattoo, it's interesting because that is essentially this top one is feminine energy. And then this bottom one is masculine energy. And I have this, I will have, I've had a few debates with some strong, very famous female entrepreneurs where they will go and talk about males and females. I'm like, I got to stop you on that because even if you look at my family, I'm much more of the female archetype. Like I wear my heart in my sleeve. I'll have those tear-filled conversations with my daughter. And we've got to start throwing some of that stuff out of the window. And 
So when it comes to vulnerability, if you can get there, some people can't get there and that's okay, right? Like I'm not saying that everyone needs to cry in front of their people, but the more vulnerable you can be and the more authentic, the more successful and loyal your team will be. And that takes work, Shelly, right? That takes Mm -hmm. a lot of work to have the confidence to do those things. It was really interesting. So I shared this, but you haven't shared this with many. I did my first kind of test case of an executive retreat around the new book to help these people become better networkers and sellers, but also to live more fulfilling lives and work in that connection really with themselves, which is secondary to just become better networkers and sellers. Let's get you immediate ROI. And I totally broke down crying at the end. Like, not like tears, like I could hardly talk because for the first time in my life, I knew that this was why I was put on the earth. And everyone was, and it was all on Zoom, but like these guys are like, so here's this guy that has been, I've been talking the whole time and I'm, I'm like slobbering, right? And, you know, was I a little embarrassed? I didn't know it was coming at all. But now two months later, I've heard the feedback. They're like, Chris, that was the most authentic thing I've ever seen in my life. And to know that you have the confidence to do that gives me hope to keep going on this journey. And so I do want to make that distinction Mm -hmm. of like the male versus female. And I think you know this, that I'm also just a big, I have two daughters for a reason and married to the most amazingly strong wife. And that is another one of those kind of underlying things that I'm trying to make contagious and have impact around. Thank you for sharing that story. You actually hadn't told me that. So (laughs) I was sitting here with goosebumps and just like, a huge heart one for you showing up the way you show up and just, yeah, sharing. I mean, we all have the feminine energy and the masculine energy. It's not about your gender or how you identify with gender. We all have both of those energies. And what I have been talking a lot about lately is we need much more of that feminine energy in the leadership that is driving this world today. And we're seeing through the pandemic that a lot more of that feminine leadership, that kindness, the compassion, the humanity, the generosity, the vulnerability, that's what is guiding our world and us forward. And so amen and bravo to you for modeling that and for, you know, blazing that very emotional trail. I I love that. And that's how I want to show up every day too. So thank you. Oh, it's, it's all easy, right? Like, no, it's no. not easy. I remember like, I thought I was going to throw up the day that my book came out because so much <laughs> of my story is in there. I felt completely naked to the world. I just woke up like, am I supposed to feel this queasy on book lunch? Day? No. <laughs> and it's like, and that's the reason I did. Cause I was like, did I share too much? And I've realized same as you, the comments you got from those men who witnessed like your raw soul on display, not for show. It wasn't scripted. It was you really, really living in and expressing your truth. And that's what my book is. And that's what connects us with people. I mean, honestly, mm-hmm. that's at the core of genuine connection. And that's what you yes. are expressing. And when I hear I get similar comments back from people who said, you know, thank you for writing your story and being as vulnerable as you were and put language around it for me. I see myself in you. And that's Mm. what those guys saw themselves in you. 
Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so we, I mean, God, I could, uh, this is another one where I could seriously, you and I could talk for three hours and I want us to be around a bonfire because like, this is so juicy and I just want to get all cozy around it, but I want to make sure that we get to dive in to save your asks. So this is a perfect segue because that's what you were. So this is your new book. I think you said you're aiming for October launch. Is that yeah, it? I got a little bit more honing of the rough draft, but yeah, October. Let's t- okay. So let's talk about if the millennial whisper. So you've done a lot of work on just you yourself, you know, the house you wanted to build for yourself, your sobriety, how you're showing up in the world. And that was like the genuine, you know, self connection. Then the millennial whisper was kind of the inside connection, you leading teams within organizations. And you just gave us some brilliant examples. And now Savior asks is, The next step in the journey, which as you said, is like the networking, right? The external connections. So save your ass, by the way, I've been on this journey with you to coming to this title. And I'm like, ah, I was so excited when you landed here. I think you were the first person I actually told about the title. Because I knew if anyone was going to be truthful about it, I was like, Shelly's going to have a good instinct on it. And you were like, oh my gosh. Fire, a hundred percent fire. So talk to us about what it, yeah, what it is. Sure. So it's a call to action, save your asks. And really what it comes down to is networking is such a slimy, grimy word because everyone does it wrong. And what I'm trying to do, replace networking with connecting. And if you do that and you save your asks and you make your intention connection, you will be the most successful salesperson in your organization because everyone does it wrong. And what was the catalyst for this book was practicing a little bit of what I preach. And I was supposed to be last March on the main stage at Nike with Heidi O'Neill doing a millennial whisper workshop with their sales organization. And I got that dreaded call just as the world was shutting down from her assistant saying, all right, it ain't happening. And part of one of my own rules to practice that resilience is you can wallow in it for about two hours. And so I wallowed in it for probably about 15 minutes, to be honest. And I was like, all right, well, Who knows how long this is going to be, but if you looked at my core, right, and you looked at the needs coming out of what looks to be a pretty tough time coming, people are going to be less concerned about culture and they're going to be more concerned with survival. So what is it that I, looking in myself, can do that could potentially teach people in that domain? And I was like, sales and networking. And you know this, my network is insane. And time and time again, people will say, Chris, how do you have this network? How do you do these things? And I'd actually, I did a lecture at Vanderbilt where I went to school just to kind of give back. I did a lecture four years ago, how to network like a mofo. And it was like one of the highest rating lectures. I had over a hundred students afterwards lined up saying, Chris, I just want to talk to you about this thing you brought up or this thing. I was like, okay, this is going to be it. And I'm going to spend however long this lasts connecting with other leaders and people with inspiring stories to really demonstrate what it is to be an effective, more effective sales and networker with Savior Asks. So yeah, that's what I spent the... And you know all of this, I'm practicing what I preach too, right, Shelly? Mm-hmm. So I'm using these books and, and not in a shoddy way, but I use all of these things to grow the business for my agency. My role, people are like, Chris, what the hell do you do? Honestly, it's hard to define right now, but my main job is to be the point of the arrow for our agency. And I'm using 
my connections and relationships to open up those doors to do work for them. And those things take time. And if you break yeah, and it we're down, talking big yeah. companies like Nike, like you mentioned, so I mean, we're Nike people, and home. Yeah. Huge companies that take, they have long sales cycles associated to them. And, and for those people that are looking for more of like the quick sales cycle stuff, insurance sales, cold, I can't really help that much there for, but for anyone that has a sales cycle, that's more than six weeks or that is just looking to better network within their own lives to evolve to that next thing. That's what I'm really kind of building this book around. And one of my favorite stories, tactically speaking, is should I give one of, do you want me to give one of them? Is oh, Shawshanking? please. Should I talk about yeah, Shawshanking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I want to talk about Shawshanking and don't uh-huh. be an asshole. Okay, that's one of my, I remember when you first told me that and I was like, oh, fuck yeah, you know how much I love language. So yeah, so, yeah Shawshanking. Shawshank, was introduced to me in 2012 when I was closing one of the biggest deals of a friend of mine at the time, Jason Beckerman and I were at a deal and it was the biggest deal as a software guy he'd ever done with me as the agency partner. And I turned to Jason and I said, Jason, we met seven years ago in a closed Facebook group because we were some of the first markers on Facebook. I said, Jason, the kind of sales guy in me is just really interested in how did you get me here? I'm so ADHD, right? I'm impossible to pin down, but yet here we are. Now you, you won. Like you just signed a huge deal with me. How'd you do it? He goes, Chris, you really want to know? I was like, I want to know. He goes, I Shawshanked your ass. And I was like, Shawshank, that sounds so cool. What is it? He was like, and P.S. one of the greatest movies ever. Totally. And I've actually rewatched it to really get a better idea. I watched it a few weeks ago. But if you watch the movie, you see in it that Andy Dufresne, as he's in Shawshank prison, he writes a letter a week to the appeals board or whoever it is that's in control of the money to get enhancements to their library. He wrote a letter a week for two years. And that's really where this terminology came from. And I was like, so what does it mean? He was like, just like Andy Dufresne wrote a letter a week, I have had for the last seven years, some sort of touch point with you, Chris. It's been a text. It's been an Instagram message. It's been a Facebook message. But every single week, I've had a touch point for you. And I haven't necessarily been going in for some sort of ask, but I've just been kind of checking in or telling you a story or whatever. I was like, oh my gosh, I just got a call from a Fortune 50 company. They're trying to hire me as their social and digital person. I'm going to go Shawshank their ass. And so I did that. And I called them. I called the CMO on the phone who had reached out to me. And I said, hey, let's meet up. And listen, everyone's full of crap out there. And let me help you just hire that next person. I'll be a sounding board for you all. And I'll whiteboard some stuff, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward, Shelly, 14 months later, the head of marketing ended up becoming one of my best friends. And at that point, we were like texting all day, every day, like at least a couple of times a day. And we got our first project. And what's so cool is now fast forward from that point after our first project, we have 120 employees on that one account. Wow. And that was all because of the art of Shawshanking. And so many of these sales successes that I've had, I'm not really a sales guy. I'm just a connections guy. So it does get pretty sophisticated and dynamic if you break it down to all the things that I do. And you know this, as I introduce you to different people for different reasons, and you know, it's all kind of like this swirl. So what I'm trying to do with this book is inspire and teach with stories, but then break it down into tactics on how we can really throw 
the whole sales and networking thing on its head and look at it differently. I love it. And you have you have the greatest perspective because you're right. You're a relationship person. You're a perspective person. You're a go deep and go long. And that's exactly yeah. what that's all about. And you've taught me so much in that space and connected me with so many incredible people. And I'm forever grateful for learning from you. And you're the one who taught me not to be an asshole. Because the way, <laughs> let me say how I understand asshole, and then you can yeah. tell me if this is correct or not. So, asshole in Shelly language is don't fucking show up. And the first thing you do when you're connected with that person is be like, can you do this thing for me? Like the first thing you do out of the gate is ask for something instead of going like, how can I serve you? How can we build this relationship and this connection? And then over time, it becomes this reciprocal relationship. How accurate was that? Exactly. Yeah. (gasps) Nailed it. it. That's exactly it. And out of everyone, you get one ask out of them and you've got to question what you want that one ask to be. And actually I was just working on this part of the book earlier today, but do you want that ask to be for someone to get you reservations somewhere, right? That you can't get reservations or do you want it to be for a connection at some place that's impossible to get into for your company? But once again, you got to go in with the give first and everyone falls somewhere in the ask continuum. Like ask holes, they have no problem making asks. They're going to go for three asks in a row. They're going to say, Chris, I need this. And then the next week they're like, Hey, Chris, can you do this? And then the next week is, Hey, can I pick your brain? And it's like, no, enough is enough. Like stop taking advantage of me. Those are ask holes. You got to get rid of them. But then the other side of the spectrum, and it was actually my interview with Alexandra Wilkes Wilson, who's the founder of guilt group that she goes, Chris, she started our interview and it was now we've become friends and we're starting to do some business together, which is so cool. Like byproduct of the relationships and connection mm-hmm. is just doing business together. But her first thing out of her mouth, she was like, Chris, I don't like the title of the book. I was like, okay, so let's talk about that. She was like, well, my whole thing, especially to these female entrepreneurs is you got to go in and know when to go in for the ask. I'm not saying don't ever do the ask. I'm saying you got to save it until you have the connection first. And she was like, okay, now I'm vibing with that. But for some people, it's you're letting the ask pass you by, right? Don't let that ask pass you by because you lost that window. And so as you look at this kind of beautiful world of relationships, I think especially the pleasers that are on the other side of the spectrum, it's knowing when to actually capitalize on that. And this is my last tactical thing, but one of my favorite things to teach people is mask your ask in your dream. And an ask is so much better if you're manifesting around your own purpose in your dream, right? And so I will tell people, and even in interviewing this book, how I got introduced to all these ridiculously famous people was that the last thing I asked them was like, hey, one of my tactics in the book is to mask your ask in your dream. So I'm going to do that right now with you, Jeff Rader, founder of Harry's and Warby Parker. It is my dream to have a greater impact on the world. And with this book, Save Your Ass is going to be the handbook that anyone can take and put into action to 3X their sales or to also live a more fulfilling life. Who in your network do I have to talk to? And that's my ask. And I wrapped it around my dream. You're going to have a 100%, 99% success rate. And so as even working with different dentists, and I've been just kind of testing this philosophy, people will come back and be like, cause I'll help them how to orient, like just basically how to organize that ask with their dream. And they're like, holy cow, Chris, like 
I just literally tripled my business by going to my strongest advocates and mask my ass in my dream. And a hundred percent. I hear people say this in the coaching world all the time. And you know, my business is one small piece of it is coaching, but it's like, people are like, well, I'm not getting referrals. I'm like, are you asking for referrals? Are you asking the people whose lives you have, you know, radically transformed through your coaching to say one, give you a testimonial and two, who else can benefit from this? And I've started now doing this at the end of the podcast too. You and I have this conversation every week, so I'm not going to do it with you. But if I were modeling it, when we go off camera, I'm like, people will always say to me, I loved that. That was an amazing conversation, you know, blah, 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 phenomenal interview. We could have gone on for four hours. It's the same thing every time. And I'm like, I feel the same way. Who else would love, would just get into this vibe. Who else could add value for this rebel souls community? And I get, you know, referrals and recommendations, same thing. So it's like, you're right. So often we're holding ourselves back from making the ask, but your point is also it's in how and when we make the ask that's so valuable. And you got to sell them, you got to sell them what they want and give them what they need. And, you know, you were a big inspiration for, I've wrapped a lot of that into the book with how can we responsibly evolve our own currencies? Just like I have, I went from the digital and social person to what looks like overnight to the culture and connection person. It takes time. But one of the other things that I'm kind of putting out there and really finding the greatest sense of satisfaction for me as a human is how can we also evolve our own currencies to be closer to our passion and our purpose? Because a lot of people listening right now will be like, I'm not passionate about my job at all. Like here I am 15 years in my law firm or whatever, like whatever that thing might be. And what I'm also wrapping into the book is a device and construct that people can start putting into play that will force them not only that growth mindset and practicing new things and that neuroplasticity, but also to do it in a responsible way where you can essentially build that next place for you to go that is deliberately constructed to be in line with your own passion and purpose. Yeah. And to be in service of your highest and best self and mission, right? Exactly. Like what, in, exactly. what impact do you, do we all want to have in the world? Well, Chris, I have to say, you know, I could talk to you for 12 more hours and we will off camera and over the course of the rest of our lives. I have to thank you. I mean, I'm so grateful for having you in my life, how much I've learned from you, how much I feed off your energy. I love our mutual intensity and you're right. It's going to be too big and too much for a lot of people and fuck it. I don't care because this is what like, like just gets me so lit up. And I also want to thank you. And I'm going to put this in the show notes, but we only touched on, I'm grateful that you shared your sobriety journey and the impact that it's had on how you're showing up today. And I have reached out, like talk about vulnerable. And I said to you off camera, this is a really, really profound journey for me right now. The realization that for me to clear the static out of my channel and show up in the way I want to show up, I'm on a very similar journey of saying, why not? 
is not serving me. Yes, it used to be a passion. It used to be this thing, but now it's just numbing and fog and all the other stuff that is not going to help me break through to who I know I can be and what I know I can do in this world. And you recommended this incredible book called This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. And just last, I literally arrived on my doorstep yesterday. Last night, I read over a hundred pages of it. We're not going to have a chance. This is going to be another deep dive. And I am going to do a solo episode around rebelling for sobriety. Not that I'm trying to convince anybody else, you know, like you said, this is my very own, very personal journey, but I want to thank you for being one of the people I look up to. I've got a handful of people like you in my life who've been on this journey for very different reasons. And I'm so grateful that I just feel held and loved and supported and guided by some of the insights from your own journey. So thank you for that too, in addition to everything else. Absolutely. And once again, if anyone wants to reach out about any of these things, you can get in touch with me. The best place is Instagram. And whether it be your own journey with the idea of sobriety or even how to better manage your teams or let's just say you need help with masking your ask in your dream. I can help anyone with that. I'll do it all for free. I'll give you my books. Like my whole thing, once again, is just my intentions are truly to make a difference as Shelly well knows. um, Through others. Through others. So Chris, we'll put all of that with the links to your books, the links to your social handles and everything, but can you just say them out loud? Where are the best places for people to connect with you? Yeah. So everyone listening who wants a free copy, hardcover of the book, they can go to quiz.themillennialwhisperer.com. I've set up a quick quiz to tell you what type of leader you are, what your strengths and weaknesses are, and then you just fill out a form and then you'll get mailed a free book. You just got to pay for the shipping. And then the best place to connect with me is actually Instagram at tuff22, T-U-F-F-2-2. And then the rest of it will is more secondary and tertiary. I'm not as good with those things. I love it. And I love following you on Instagram for so many reasons, not the least of which is that you model unplugging better than anybody I know. And you know, like that's a big ingredient of Soulbatical. So I love watching you with your family hike and bike, and then with your buddies out kite surfing and all the things. So thank you for modeling that. We all need more role models of like, you know what? The secret to success is the fact that you do fucking unplug that rest (laughs) and renewal and refreshing is so crucial to the energy that you bring. So soul brother, I love you. Thank you for coming on and having this conversation with me today. Yes. I mean, it's an absolute privilege. You rock. Love you too. And I mean, I can't wait to watch what for you, what's about to hit. I sense it like, and I don't know if those listeners can feel it, but it's like, holy cow, Shelly, like there's something different. Like what's coming is huge. So thank you. Uh, The shit's shifting. The energy is shifting for sure. And yeah, I know people are going to want to connect with you. Rebel Souls, I know you got lots of fire and juicy nuggets from this. So thanks for joining in and we'll see you next week. Ciao. Bye. Thank you. Hey, Rebel. Thanks for listening. If you were inspired by what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review so our fellow rebel souls can find us. We have big work to do together. And if you want to dive deeper, head on over to my website at soulbatical.com and follow me at soulbatical on Instagram. Until next time, stay bold, brave, and badass, and never stop asking, what am I rebelling for?